Welcome to Stand Out from the Crowd. I'm your host, Darin. In a world saturated with information about successful individuals, have you ever wondered about the unique journeys that shaped them? How did they make it happen? I created this podcast with the goal of unraveling the narratives behind some of the most remarkable women leaders and entrepreneurs, the triumphs, the challenges, and the moments that tested that resilience, we cover it all. Don't forget to subscribe to Stand Out From The Crowd and to give up a five-star review because the stories we share on this podcast are worth it. We are worth it. Don't you think so? I hope you do. Tune in every week for compelling conversations that will broaden your perspective, provide you practical tips, and also ignite the spark within you. So stay tuned, stand out, and let's embark on this transformative journey together. Are you ready? Let's go. Brooke, how are you doing? I am so good. I'm so happy to be here. You know, if you have listened to this podcast, I like to uh, learn more about the journeys that led you to becoming the leader, the entrepreneur, the coach, the woman you are today. And so reflecting on your early career, were there specific individuals or experiences that inspired or shaped your vision of leadership? Oh, I love this question. I'm going to say there's there's two things that I wanted to draw on. One of them is not all of you know, my background is actually in engineering. And I went to school for way too long uh, in engineering. So I got six years. Oh, wow. It. Yeah. And the outcome of that, though, is that I really started to understand from a very early age what the differences were of being a woman, in my case, of one of the only women in my class. Mm -hmm. And so starting to recognize, you know, 1920, that there were gender differences, which I hadn't experienced in high school. And so that was something for me that, that really stood out. So I'd say that really shaped a lot of it. And then the second one that really came through for me was as I started to get um, in my career, really leaning into some of the work that I did where, uh, you know, a couple of projects that started to take a toll on my health, really almost I'll say losing myself in the work. And that was probably the second thing that really had a strong influence on me. So one sort of an environmental and then one starting to learn to navigate. Losing yourself in your work, this mm -hmm. sounds way too familiar for me. And I know for a lot of people listening to this podcast, have you experienced burnout? That's really interesting. Not in the way that people describe it. I have never lost that sense of complete engagement with a job because um, burnout can take a lot of different forms. It can be the, I don't want to be here, but I'm going to take a paycheck. No. But it can, right? Um, and, and so you, you literally show up and, and that's it. You just show up and, and sort of there's the bare minimum and you go through the motions, but you've lost the energy, the connection to the work. The other one that I've seen is that real tie in to just complete health and, and a health collapse that can happen. And I'm really fortunate. I haven't had either in their fullest extent, wow. but I have certainly had that position where I've recognized that I need to make the change and I made the change before I got to that stage. Oh, so you were savvy enough actually to recognize and acknowledge because this is something oftentimes yeah. that we don't do. We may recognize the symptoms, mm -hmm. but it's kind of we refuse to acknowledge them, thinking that by keeping pushing, 
like it will just like go away at least this is the mistake that i did in the past and it never goes away right because this is your body telling you there is something wrong happening right now that you need to take into consideration but especially when we are we are high achievers we tend to refuse or to deny to acknowledge those symptoms and then you were smart enough to understand the symptoms but most importantly to acknowledge them so you could avoid to exhaust your body to the point you would burn out it's so true and and i'll tell you it showed up as two things the first time um i actually went to uh i knew i was going to be going through a really rough period at work project that was going sideways i knew it was we were working crazy hours like 60 70 hours a week and so i actually went to a naturopath and just straight out said i need to be able to support myself through this so what can we do to get me through this period and so we were looking at supplementation we were looking at you know a whole series of things that would support me physically and then the second thing that happened in part of you said, you know, I recognized it, but I acknowledged it. And I will say I had an intervention. I actually went to my doctor and I said, listen, mm -hmm. I, I am not okay. And you know, I'm not sure what's wrong, but I know I'm not okay. Thinking that she's going to take me some, give me some kind of medication to help with the symptoms. And she didn't, she said, change your job and then come back and talk to me. Really? She did. She did it to me twice. <laughs> and did you change your job? Oh my goodness, I love that. I did. Never occurred to me. It just hadn't occurred. I was so deep in it. It just never occurred to me to change. And so I did. I started looking and the first time it all worked out well. And then the second time um, it, I, I, I now recognized and I, I went to her and I said, I need some support. And she said, not until you change your job. So yeah, it was, uh, it was really good. The second time set up the circumstances for myself to make a graceful exit and had it all planned out. Let me tell you, you have, first of all, you have an amazing doctor. <laughs> I know. I'm so, I live in a constant state of fear that she's going to retire because I've been with her since I was a young girl. Like, what? like, yeah, yeah. And, and secondly, you know, what it tells us is the solution can be quite simple, mm -hmm. right? Just change your job. If you evolve an environment where you feel like it is enough, that you can no longer take it, just change it. And I know it's easier said than done, but sometimes it can be that easy right mm -hmm. and we, we we tend to overcomplicate and overthink a solution when actually it could be that simple mm -hmm. you know in the one case it was it was um, culture we've had both cases it was culture and what i was looking to achieve for myself wasn't a fit with what was being mm -hmm. made available to me and the, the stress of that was weighing on me so deeply and it really informed me in terms of recognizing it in others and really starting to having gone through it, recognizing some of the strategies that you can take. And you're right, it's sometimes it is easier said than done. Go and change your job. Well, sometimes that's, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces to make that happen, but some of it is just the mindset that that is actually a solution. Yeah. Let me, let me go back a little bit. You said you went to school for six years to study engineering and you are an engineer. Have you ever started a career as an engineer or after you graduated, did you decide this is something that was not for you, which could happen and decided to follow a different route? Oh, I love that. So I actually started, I have six, it was eight. Um, I started in my undergrad, I was in engineering physics and fell in love with the physics side of things, went on and was invited to do a master's. And I actually have a patent in semiconductor manufacturing. Oh my goodness. This and is I've, so specific. <laughs> I've, never, I've never worked in the field. Um, I did come away with that with a 
passion for the topic, but not for what the work environment would look like. And so I ended up actually going into, stayed in research for a while, but I was different. I was always had something else on the go and everyone in the community knew that about me. And so I got tapped on the shoulder and invited to join a pilot program uh, for engineers wanting to go into entrepreneurship. And so- yeah, and so I ended up getting a full scholarship to do, essentially it's it's like an MBA, but more of a crash course in how to start a business, not how to sustain a business, because they're two different requirements yeah. and skill sets. And so that's, so I ended up going back to school. I did a master's of engineering and entrepreneurship, absolutely fell in love with it. And that's actually what moved me into the career path of entrepreneurship and supporting entrepreneurs. So the more I talk to women on this podcast and the more I realize is that there is no linear path. Oftentimes, you know, from the outside, we see you successful, successful leaders, successful entrepreneurs, you know, seeing the accolades and, you know, having this success in business, in your career. But then we don't realize oftentimes we question ourselves, right? But we don't realize that it is okay to have a non-linear path. And most of the time, the path is never as planned. I've never had a plan. There's actually a TED Talk. Um, it's called uh, Multipotentialite. And it really opened things up for me because there are people, you know, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a pilot. I want to be this thing. And and they're linear and they're driven and they're hyper-focused on that thing. And they love it. And it's so perfect. And I am not that person. I want to learn something. And then once I've like got a good grasp on it, I will let it go and move on to learn. Yeah, I know that. I know that. I'm the same. (laughs) I know you are. That's why we get along so well. So it's, but it is one of the things, and I'd say the majority of my career, I've been tapped on the shoulder. And one of the reasons is because I bring my engineering background to me. And so this ability to see a problem and be able to map out what would it look like to implement around that? What is it that we're trying to achieve and how are we going to get there? And so almost every job I've ever had in a corporate setting has been a brand new role. There's never been an incumbent. Sometimes they don't even have a job title. They don't even have a salary. They're still negotiating with HR. And I'm often brought in to create the thing. So it's called intrapreneurship, where you're sort of in a startup mode, but inside a larger structured setting. And so I've had a lot of that opportunity in my career and have become a bit known for it. And so that's one of the things that I'll do is I'll come in and I'll start up a new unit. And then once it reaches sort of that steady state, I'll usually get tapped to try something new. (laughs) So what I'm discovering now, uh, Brooke, is that you are both an entrepreneur and an intrapreneur. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which one do you prefer? Neither. It's the variety. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's the variety. Um, Being able to set my own direction. And, and have total control over the things that I want to do. And the only limitation is my ability to gather my own resources. That's the entrepreneur side of things. And that's where my coaching has, has led me and where I, I love doing that work. And then the intrapreneur side, oftentimes it has really strict boundaries and a lot of stakeholder management. So a lot of um, being able to navigate and influence and so that's been an, another huge part of that work is being able to to navigate within a larger corporate setting, which is all work that I bring over into my coaching because learning how to make recommendations, learning how to influence others. These are all a different kind of communication that I don't think gets talked about often enough. And I feel like as I listen to you, like the, the way that you can navigate so easily between both words, it's because you have a sense of 
self-awareness, right? And self-discovery is very important, especially as a leader, because when it comes the time to make decisions, uh, you know, to lead people, to inform stakeholders, right? Or investors, or just, you know, the ability to decide and take the control of your own path, you need to be aware of what's working for you and what's not working. What do you like doing and what don't you like doing? You know, what are your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities for growth, and so on and so on. How has your understanding of yourself evolved throughout your leadership career? And what discoveries did you surprise you the most? Oh, I love your questions. And I love that you did not give that one to me ahead of time. Um, so. <laughs> There's There's been a few things actually in, in this that have really made a difference for me. So I am a uh, strong advocate for journaling. And for, you know, many of my clients that are like, I, I don't journal. And that's okay, because sometimes it's the action of thinking about it. Although I really think writing it down has a lot of um, outcomes for you, because you can go back and reflect. And a lot of times the things that are in our head feel really well connected and articulate because we have all the feelings and thoughts and fragments of ideas all woven together like a tapestry. And when you really take that time for self-reflection, it also means picking back apart the tapestry and really understanding where those components are coming from and having to figure out how to share that with someone else to get them on side. And I, I think that's really important. So for me, it's been actually setting aside time to reflect. And it's something that I've built into all of my one-on-one -on -one coaching programs. Yes, we can have conversation and I'm going to guide you and we'll listen and we'll work through challenges together. But I also love putting together curated reflections for my clients to help them take that a little bit further on their own. Your personal journey involves mm -hmm. weightlifting for managing IBS. So for it those does. of you who might not know what IBS stands for, stands for it is irritable bowel syndrome, which oftentimes also can be associated with stress. But this is for another conversation. How does physical resilience contribute to mental resilience? It changed everything. So that job that I mentioned, the one that like was soul crushing in terms of volume, um, two of the things that came out of that, I realized I was saying two a lot. There usually seems to be like a binary thing that that oppose and, and push uh, and create that tension to want to make change. And so one of them was, you know, I had this amazing naturopath supporting me. I had my doctor telling me I really actually need to make a change. Um, and then I reached a point where I just wasn't feeling well. And so I went out and I started working with a coach and and lo and behold, turns out we ended up learning how to do weightlifting and, and he became a weightlifting coach, but and much more than that. And it really did change a lot. So yes, physical structure um, started to change in me, but there was something really grounding in knowing that my bones, my joints, my tendons, my physical self could carry me, that I actually had the ability to carry heavy things with ease, that it was, it sounds almost ridiculous, but if there was ever an emergency, I knew I could be useful because I actually had a physical capability. And mm -hmm. then it opened up a lot of other things. So because I trusted my physical self in this whole new way of confidence, I checked off my bucket list and I learned how to ride a motorcycle. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Which you need to be able to handle the machine because it weighs about 350 mm -hmm. pounds, mm -hmm. right? You have to oh, pick yeah. it up if you ever drop it. You have to navigate it. You have to move it around. And I wouldn't have been able to do that in the past because I physically wouldn't, it, it would have just like 
knocked me over, right? I just didn't have the strength. And having that physical strength for me brought in a whole new level of confidence and to, to do things that were hard because I could do things that were hard. I could pick up heavy things. I could do hard things physically in my workouts. And I knew I could do hard things in front of me and that they were temporary and that I would grow stronger because of it. Oh my God. You know, I should start weightlifting then because I can tell you definitely I, I don't have the physical strength to handle like a motorcycle. You and I are going to chat offline after this. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in your coaching, you emphasize building confidence through authentic connections. And building connections, let's be honest here, building connections sometimes involves navigating difficult conversations. When I hear people talking about authentic connections, I, it's most of the time from a networking perspective or, you know, knowing how to introduce yourself and being a good listener and, you know, asking the right questions. And But part of building like authentic relationships uh, and connections is part also of navigating difficult conversations. So how do you guide uh, leaders, your clients, to approach these conversations intentionally, ensuring they contribute positively to the confidence building process? Fabulous question. I love all of it. Okay, I'm going to start with what does this actually mean? And why do you gain confidence through connections and authentic connections, to your point? And a huge part of it is, I don't, I don't want to refer to that networking piece as shallow, but there are different types of relationships we have. We have acquaintances, we may have friends, and then we have people who are part of our inner circle. And when you have someone that you know really is truly supporting you, that they see what you're trying to accomplish and they want to be there to contribute to your success, that is part of, in my experience, the confidence building. So, I mean, during you and I have had this conversation back and forth for ages, and I love your podcast. I am really quick to share it, to celebrate it, because I know that you're always having fabulous conversations and conversations are going to benefit my clients. And so, you know, there's this ability to, to create that piece. So that's one part of it. And I'd say that's the first part of it is really looking at the fact that your network does have these layers of depth to them. And so when we talk about shallow, it's not shallow superficial, it's shallow just in the sense that they may not know the full you, they may know parts of you because we're multifaceted. So that's one part of it. And I really do believe that community and connection can help build confidence. The second part, the navigating difficulty conversations. This is such a, a fabulous one. And there's a lot of communication techniques that can really lean into this one. One of my personal favorites, the actual name of it, I'm not a fan of. It's called nonviolent communication because it comes from a very specific type of, of negotiation. But it's actually more the idea of to be able to communicate with someone in a way that doesn't bring shame. And so when you're having conversations with them and you're navigating these difficult conversations, that reflection piece that we talked about earlier becomes so important because you need to know what is reconciliation or what does a path forward look like? So if someone has done something to offend you, there it can't be enough to just say, well, you've offended me okay, well, what does reparation look like? What does it look like for us to come back together? And so that's that's a part of it. 
the second part is really starting to analyze for yourself what is this narrative in my head so if we're having a difficult conversation it means that we're at odds we have tension and we have different perspectives and so really getting clear on your own perspective and the fact that you've built a narrative around the observations and that you've made so whether it's tone whether it's words whether it was behavior or action you've created a narrative and you have to reflect on that and then the last thing i'll say is really taking the time to separate and pausing in a conversation to reflect, what are the actual things that I'm observing? How is this emotionally making me feel? Why am I feeling these emotions? And what can I do with this person to move forward so that we stay in a relationship, a healthy, positive relationship? Those tips are amazing and very practical. Thank you for sharing those. You're welcome. And, and as I'm listening to you, uh, I'm like, yeah, but you know, it requires a lot of vulnerability to be able to do all of this, right? Oh, yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. However, uh, many leaders shy away from vulnerability. So how do you integrate uh, personal vulnerability into your uh, professional development? Mm. A few different ways, I think. There's, there's an element in this of making sure that when you think about vulnerability and vulnerability within yourself, what does it actually mean for you to be vulnerable and why are you choosing to be vulnerable? So are you looking to deepen this connection with whoever it is that you're having conversation or relationship with? The another piece is to really think about what can you do to create a small armor for yourself. So for example, yes, I have a podcast. I actually don't like being on video in particular. I've got a little bit of a hell tell type, you know, start to try and monitor myself. I get super nervous. And so what do I do to, to help protect myself? I have well, this way, um, my painting. Uh, that my mom did for me and it, it brings me a lot of joy so you'll often find it in videos with me I have an empowered women empowered women sign from my friend Wendy who gave me this as a gift and it means so much to me I have my glam jewels jewelry I have my cheekbone lipstick these are the things that are sort of my armor that when I have them on I know I'm on camera and I know that I am okay um, and so those sort of ground me they're almost like talismans or or rituals that can help to ground me before I have to be physically vulnerable by you know in this case being on camera and so that can help it can help ground you in yourself and then one of the other things around being vulnerable is to really think about what is it that you want as again that reflection you really have to know yourself to know what part of you you're choosing to be vulnerable with and so I can be vulnerable about the fact that I had a, a health concern because it's something I'm super passionate about and I'm an advocate for. I am going to talk to you about the fact that, you know, I ride a motorcycle. And so for some people, it comes as a shock. For other people, it's really cool. For some people, they think it's a complete death wish. You know, everyone has their own narrative around that. And that's okay for me. And so it's really sort of thinking about, but there's other things that I won't tell you about because those are the things that belong to me and don't need to be public. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And let me tell you, you are, you are doing very well on video. Oh, thank you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so a question that I like to ask all the guests is what would you like to be remembered for? Oh, this is a really interesting one because I find um, as I've evolved and as my self-reflection goes, something that has been enormously important to me is that I want to be easy to work with. And that is something that has really driven me. And, and it's been interesting because post pandemic, as we start to move forward, I've had other people come to me to say, what are you doing for yourself? Because they don't see the full extent of my 
self-care, you know, not that I love the term self-care, but the things that I do to support my own self. And so, you know, then it becomes, do I become vulnerable by showing those pieces? Do they stay with me? So, you know, sort of going through this, what do I want to be remembered for? And so I would say sort of the two things are, yes, I do want to be easy to work with. That is something that's really important to me. Um, and I want to leave people in a place where they feel ready and capable and able to make the change that's been sitting in their hearts that they don't necessarily want to acknowledge. That's why we call impact leadership. I love it. Um, you know, coming back to the vulnerability piece of leadership and as how do you become personally vulnerable when it comes to evolving as a professional and as a leader, it's true that everything that you said is applicable to both men and women. But I feel still like as women, being vulnerable can be much more tricky, right? Because I feel like there is a fine line between being a vulnerable leader as a woman and being perceived as weak. What is your, 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 your thought on this? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts on this because not just weak, but also what is what does assertive look like on the outside? Yeah. And how does assertive get perceived? Because in some ways, as a woman leader, especially and not just a woman leader, a leader who cares about inclusivity and empowering other people, oftentimes the work you do is not the visible work. So for me, there's an element of leadership that requires what I'll call servitude, where you are the servant leader, you are, you are the one in behind, making sure that everyone else is shining out in front. And that can lead to, in some ways, wanting to protect the people in front of you from behind. And that can actually lead to you losing your sense of power or, or leadership or authority because people see you're so protected, you take too much on yourself. So that's there's a balance there as well. There's another balance around being assertive and, and being assertive can look like a couple different things and you really have to think about where it is. So if you are in a negotiation, are you assertive in your language? Well, that comes from being well-prepared. Are you assertive in your body language? Well, that comes from how confident you are in yourself. And then there's another element where some people bring a really harsh energy and how a, how well, are you able to manage yourself when you're in the presence of that uncomfortable, harsh energy? And I think as a woman leader, that's one of the things that we have had a lot of social training to step back. So when you, we have that harsh energy, we step back from it instead of standing and, and you know maybe tolerating it, maybe pushing back against it, or just holding the tension that sits there. And a lot of women leaders do not want to hold that tension. They want to step back from it. So that's two, two of them. I think those are some of the things that really shine through. But then there's one other element that comes with that. And sometimes it's about the ability to influence. And I think of an amazing woman that I know, she was saying that, you know, when she was in law practice, she would have her clients be really quite frustrated with her. She got them what they wanted, if not more, but she wasn't a bully in the courtroom. Instead, she was working to make sure that the judge had clarity on the case and, and that the judge had clarity on what potential outcomes could come from the case. She made the judge's life easy. She wasn't there to berate her, her fellow counsel person, she was there to make sure that she got the outcome. So it was all about stakeholder management. And her clients would be dissatisfied because they were expecting that, you know, courtroom anger, right? Yeah. That, har that harsh energy. And they were expecting that harsh energy from her. And she wasn't there to deliver it because it's not her way. And so helping people really understand what you want to be known for, who you are, and being able to deliver those results and recognizing that sometimes, sometimes, 
if their expectations keep mismatching to what you want to deliver and the way you want to deliver it authentically, it might not be a fit and it might be time for a change. A change, right? And I, I feel this is the key word here, like being able to understand your environment and to know yourself enough so you can decide to change when the situation doesn't fit you or doesn't serve you. Yeah, that's powerful. Is there any last thought that you would like to share with our audience before we wrap up this episode? Oh, I would. I want to say one of the things that I value so strongly and, and uh, at Best for Women, we really lean into. There's coaching, there's self-guided coaching through reflection, a lot of these pieces. And at the core of it, you heard me talk about earlier, that strength in ourself. I would say really figuring out what your health looks like for you and really starting to understand how supporting your health will give you the capacity that you need to keep building on these skills for leadership and development because when you don't have enough physical energy you can't generate that energy from within you will struggle to reach your goals so there has to be a foundation of health underneath everything you do and what it looks like when it goes sideways is that you lose yourself in work and you sacrifice your sense of self thank you so much for today's conversation brooke that was amazing i knew it would be amazing anyway <laughs> and thank you for all the tips practical tips you know and for opening up about your own journey about becoming a leader and and having an impact on, on people's life because i feel like when we can have a positive impact no matter what it is on people this is the most beautiful and rewarding thing that as human beings, we can do and we can receive. Thank you so much for having me. This has been such a fun conversation. I've really enjoyed it today and I really appreciate being here. Thank you.